0: I was interested in this passage, in this story of Joseph, and then Cindy tells me these 11 verses, some of her favorites, and, you know, it never quite struck me that way. I'm I'm thinking about that now, as you said that, and thinking about what I've been working on in terms of this story. This is a long story. This is about the longest story in the scripture, I guess, uh, maybe than the life of Jesus. I think that might be, but it's retold over and over again, right? This uh, thing about Joseph... You don't hear much about him, and all of a sudden you do. He's not the oldest son. He's not the youngest son. He's uh, just one of those sons, one of those sons of Jacob. It seems to me as I continue to reflect on the story and think about this last part of the book of Genesis, when I'm thinking about a story to tell, the story that kept coming to my mind is the idea of the story of choices. Because it is a story about choices. Now, they're not all pretty, and they don't all have the happy ending that certainly that Joseph wanted when he was living through them or that we want for our lives today, and yet we need to look at them because when the Bible does something, it usually does it intentionally, whether we understand it or not. And from the biblical perspective, I believe this story of Joseph is more about choices than it is about the actual events going on, although certainly his events lead to the salvation of uh, the tribes of of God there who's living in in the midst of famine For Joseph ends up taking care of them all. But the story starts in a very strange way when you're thinking about choices. There's a 17-year-old who's going out to tend the flock of his father with his other brothers. And it's a big family, as they had back then. There were men everywhere, and I'm sure they all had some of the same ideas, and here, He's out with the brothers pasturing the flock and this story opens with him coming home to his father and saying, you know, your sons aren't all that good. Um, You know, they're kind of sloughing off. They're not really tending your flock. I don't know what they were doing that caused such a bad report because the Bible doesn't tell us, which is written that way specifically for preachers. Because the Bible doesn't tell you what, what you exactly need to say. You just get to fill in the blanks. But unfortunately, I just don't know what to fill in. I don't know this guy, Joseph, at this point in the story. He's just another young man. He's not the sharpest stick in the shed, though. I got that impression real quickly because he comes home, one of a dozen, and not the oldest or the biggest or the brightest, perhaps, but he comes home and tells his father that the rest of the brothers are goofing off. Now in my household, if you did such a thing, and I only had one brother, but he was bigger, and he was older, and it was going to hurt my body. I don't know what he's thinking when he comes back, it doesn't really tell us, except that's what he did. But it didn't sneaks in a little something in the story. It says that Joseph loved I'm sorry, Jacob loved Joseph more than the rest of his children. Oh, no. And he made him a coat of many colors. Oh, no. Was he trying to get the boy killed? I don't understand it. I don't know why he was so attracted to Joseph. Perhaps he knew something we didn't know. But he set Joseph up in the position he was in. I get the picture of maybe there's a little sibling rivalry going on here, you think? Uh, Get the picture that perhaps... Joseph might have had a little bit of edge to himself early on. I don't know. Maybe he was one of those kind of kids, you know, that all the siblings want to destroy because he always does things right. Or at least that's what daddy thinks. Big deal in that day and age, whoever the daddy favored, right? I mean, it had a lot to do with your future. So then Joseph has a dream. Wow, he has a dream. Now, it's one thing to have a dream that you believe is from God, and that's what they they interpreted their dreams back in those days all the time. Um, he, He had a dream, and it was about his brothers bowing down to him. What did the boy do? Dummy went and told his brothers. Now, that was a choice. The dream, you could say, came straight from God with a message from God, and I get that, but nowhere in the text does it say that God told him to go and tell his brothers that. He didn't have to do that. The dream would have still been there. He would have still have had the knowledge, but no, I can just imagine him telling it, can you? Hey, dudes, what's up? Check out my coat. And I had a dream, and you're all going to be bowing down to me. If I were doing that at that age, I would be smiling. That's what the dream says. Not me, it's God. You know, when you stack up the grain in the field, the one stands up tall and erect, and all the other sheaves fall down. And what do you think that means, guys? Well, he didn't say that, of course. The text doesn't say he says that. But what the text does say is that the brothers hated him. And he knew that. And then a little while later, what does he do? He has another dream. It's kind of an expansion of the first dream except this time two images of parents are brought into the dream where even the parents were bowing down to worship this child. Guess what he does? He's a slow learner. (laughs) He goes back. He makes a choice to tell his brother again. And Now not only do they hate him but now they're jealous of him. The scriptures say. You know when you combine hate with jealousy, it's an ugly thing. It's no longer just sibling rivalry. Things can get really, really difficult at that point when you have such strong emotions as hatred for your brother. So what would they do? Well, they just plan to kill him. We'll just kill him. He's out of here. He's, he came to meet them one day, and on his way, they saw him on the way to catch up with the shepherding. I wonder why he was always catching up with the shepherding Oh, that's right, the favorite one, right? He got to sleep later, maybe. I don't know. This doesn't give you a good picture. But I, the first thing I want to think about before we go on to this story is that Joseph made this choice. He didn't have to tell them, but he chose to tell them. He didn't say that God told him to tell them. He chose to tell them. You say, what is the point of that in the story? Well, for me, for my grandchildren, I hope they grow up to learn, that... All choices are personal and you get to make them. And all choices, even when they're bringing a message, might not be good to be shared with just everyone. You know, sometimes people walk in my office and they tell me something's going on and they explain it. And, you know, I'm thinking halfway through, well, you you know, you know the answer to this. You, You came here for me to tell you the obvious or maybe you didn't. Maybe you came here for me to tell you everything will be all right, but it didn't because you did something stupid. And so I just tell them, you did something stupid, go home and the punishment will be over one of these days. (laughs) Now I'll have no appointments next week in my office. (laughs) You know, but I don't say that because just because I might think that or even in a rare case, I might be sure about it. to say so to that person would not be wise because in effect, I work for all of you. You're my boss. You're not my brothers and sisters, but you really kind of are. But more than that, you kind of have a lot to do with my life. That's the way it works in the church. You don't have to tell everybody everything, do you? Especially when it's something private that God has said to you that puts others in a tough light. You know, I... I thought it would be fun sometimes to just take a stroll across the city I'm living in and wear a big sign on, my, on myself that says, Hi, I'm a representative for God. Now, I guess I could do that by wearing a collar. I've never one, worn one of those things, but it's universally known that that makes you a Catholic priest, and that way the Methodists wouldn't get the blame for what I was going to do. <laughs> but, you know, I put on a collar and stride around the town, and when I see somebody doing something, just let them have it. Hey, you know what? I'd be a popular guy, wouldn't I? I mean, I'd really be popular. Just because you get to make a choice doesn't mean you need to make a dumb choice or a choice that is hurtful to others or even a choice that seems to be benefiting you and telling it to others where that choice is going to be negative. You don't have to share that unless God tells you to. You say, well, maybe God told him to. Maybe so, but it doesn't say so here in the book. So that's my first point about choices and while I'm thinking about that topic I just want you to realize life is filled constantly with choices nothing determines your futures like your present choices not your past choices or your past bad decisions but your present choices you can turn around from anything in the middle of any time and begin to make good choices and your life will be better it's just that simple it's just that simple But there's no reason to take your choices and use them in such a way that your actions can be misinterpreted or that your actions can seem careless or unthoughtful in regard to the others who are hearing about the choices that you're making. So even though they plotted to kill and later sold Joseph into slavery and he rides off on the chariot, I think that we need to be careful about our seemingly innocent choices. There have been a few times in my life when I've done things that were out of place. And I had no mal thought in my head. Once when I was a teenager working at a loading dock where I was the straw boss, I was a 16-year-old kid supervising grown men. You can imagine how that went over. Uh, And during one of those events, uh, they said something about going to lunch. I said, okay, we'll meet you at the cafe. So I went down to meet him at the cafe and there was one of the other older white male men who worked there sitting at a table. So I went over to sit down with him expecting that when the other guys got there, my Hispanic brothers that I was working with at that time, that they would just come and join us all at the table. But you know what they did? They came in, they looked at the table, they stood there a minute, and they turned around and they walked out. I was so dumb, I still didn't know anything was wrong until I went back to work. And then the biggest of them... He let me know right quickly that I had disrespected them by not eating with them as I said I was. And I just thought they'd all sit down and join us. I never thought about one other person making a difference. But it was an innocent choice that caused me pain. I won't go into how I handled that pain because it doesn't make a very good Christian story. So I'll just keep it to myself. But I survived and so did that gentleman. But I learned then you had to be careful about how people take what you say and do. And that's so true in our world today as Christians. If we're going to be a witness, we have to be careful about what we say and do and especially so when we're around brothers and sisters who do not share our enthusiasm for worship or for Christ. You have to be careful with the words you say and with the actions you take. In fact, I go so far as to say that's true but with your own children and your grandchildren you have to be careful because you're Teaching them, number one, how to make choices, and number two, how you make those choices. If only we could have seen Joseph's face in this story, we would have known a lot more about him, wouldn't we? We'd have known maybe a little more of his intent, but we can't. But suffice it to say for us that we need to be careful that our intentions are clearly acted out in the choices that we make so that others won't become misinformed. Now, here he is. He's on a ride, and he gets to the next town, and... uh, He's put into the service of Potiphar, who is in uh, charge of the guard. You know, I mean, he, this is a big guy. He's a, he's a big guy in the nation of e- Egypt. He's powerful. And he noticed that everything this servant of his, Joseph, touched, it prospered. Being no fool, he decided to put him in charge of more of his house. And so he did. And, you know, everything went great for Potiphar. It says he was just basically feeding himself and enjoying uh, uh, the the work of Joseph as his uh, servant. The trouble was, the the text says that he was, uh, what is the exact words they used? I think it said that he was beautiful and uh, his appearance was uh, good. And so did Potiphar's wife think so. So she began to hit on him in inappropriate ways. Can't believe that, uh, that she did that. Can y'all believe that? But she did. And if you think that was surprising, here's the next thing about it. He said, no, no, good choice. No, get away from me. No, that would be sin to God. Should I entertain the thought of being inappropriate with you? What'd she do? She went home and forgot about it, right? No, she made choices, bad choices. I see, I won't, I will pester. And then one day he made a careless Thought, careless choice, and went into the house when nobody was there but her. She grabbed, she tore a piece of the cloth off of his tunic. And then after he ran out the door, she went and told everyone, including her husband, that she tore the tunic from this man who had been inappropriate with her. Nothing like the scorn of a woman, right? All you women shake your head and say, that's right. And then turn to your husband and say, don't you forget it, (laughs) right? Well, Potiphar puts him in jail. There he is, in jail for a good choice. A good thing he did had negative results. And sometimes some of the good things we do have negative results, right? Right? Sometimes we have to wait a while for the good to show. Now, we prefer to do something good and then have an immediate success, right? An immediate check on our little lifeboard. But it's not the way it always works. Sometimes we can do the right thing and we can be punished for it. And so he was in prison there and then was approached by two more of the Pharaoh's people and the cupbearer and the baker. And they had dreams and nobody interpreted them, so Joseph interpreted their dreams for them. And it turned out to be correct in his interpretation. And he got a big promotion and the Pharaoh heard about it. And well, guess what? Now he's he's running the Pharaoh's doings. I mean, he is big time, right? Big time. But he had been in prison all that time for making the right choice. Sometimes when you make out, make the right choice and things go wrong, you have to stay the course. You have to stay the course and wait for the good results that should come from doing what God would have you do. And he did. He remained faithful to his convictions. He remained open to God. God remained open to him in interpreting of the dreams, and he used the talents and gifts that God had given him, even in that tough place, to help others. And in so doing, they finally remembered him and helped him. It, it's important for us to know that in life we can make choices and they, they, they don't, we don't know how they're going to turn out. And by the way, that's something I need to share with you. A uh, uh, while back, I made reference to the fact that I was going to have a meeting with a bishop and a couple of conference personnel. And since then, I've had several people say, well, how did the meeting go? Well, the meeting went very good. And uh, along with going very good and about the things we talked about, I was reminded that the conversation with the bishop and the clergy is confidential. So not to go back and tell my congregation what we talked about. So I won't. I will not tell you. But it did go very good. At least from my perspective. So you can take that to mean you were not going to know what you talked about? The answer to that would be, no, you're not. Because if you find that out, it could ruin the whole thing, right? We'll have to be patient for the good to come. Right, And I so hate keeping a secret, but anyway, did I say that it was a good meeting? It was a good meeting. It was a good meeting. I define good means by me getting what I want <laughs> most of the time. So uh, that might make it more simple to understand. So we won't have to worry about that question, at least for those of you to hear. Joseph, on the other hand, made good, good decisions, and wow. Tough times, but now great times, and he flourished. You know how the story goes. Then there's a famine in the land and the cause of the dreams interpretation. Egypt has plenty of food and is able to basically feed the world, and that ended up including all of his brothers and the rest of his people who came to Egypt, and that's how they ended up in slavery years later. But the coming to Egypt saved them. The choices that he had made all along, his faithfulness to God, God continued to bless him and to guide him in everything he did, and he prospered, and others prospered with him. A great, great story at that point, especially when his brothers show up, show up and through a series of exchanges, he ends up welcoming them home, even though they had tried to, thought about killing him, and had sold him into slavery, he was not bitter against them. That's the important thing about choices, isn't it, too? When somebody makes a bad choice toward you, what do you normally do? It can be hard, right? Sometimes we want to get even. Sometimes we just think bad thoughts about them. You know, we just harbor it. We just harbor those bad things they did. And we just won't let it alone. And most things in life we'll be okay if we just leave it alone after it's already occurred. Because if we live uprightly, most of those things that we're worried about will eventually go away. Now, that's hard to do if you're 16 or 17 or 27 or 57. And I've heard 67s and 70s in my office whining and whining about how somebody did something wrong to them. And many of the times it happened years ago. Way past the bounds of forgiveness. How long do you stay mad? You know, staying mad and angry and spiteful is a choice. You don't have to choose to be that kind of person. In fact, I'll be so brave as to tell you that when you choose to stay mad, choose to stay hurt, you're choosing not to be an active follower of Christ because that is not the way of Christ nor the way of Joseph, who is a prefigurement, if you will, of the New Testament person of Jesus Christ, in that he forgave those who offended him and went on with his life. You should do the same thing. I should do the same thing. People who hold grudges in this world and hang on to them are the most unhappy people I've ever met. It not only robs them of that relationship, but it robs them of the joy of life in so many other ways. It's, there's a reason we're told to forgive, because forgiving others, forgiving others releases them to be in relationship with you, but it's a choice you have to make. And you don't have to feel good about the choice, quite frankly. If you'll just exercise forgiveness and keep exercising it pretty soon, you'll feel glad that you had forgiven them. There's nowhere that forgiveness is more important than the Church of Jesus Christ nowhere there should be no other place in all of creation for a person to find grace and acceptance when they've made bad choices than in the church of jesus christ because every one of the people sitting in the church of jesus christ who do so regularly profess a faith in jesus christ and a desire to follow the ways of jesus which was always about forgiveness there's hardly any judgment in all of scripture except for religious people who don't get along very well with people who aren't religious. The thing we need in the church today is to be so outwardly loving and forgiving and accepting that we'll get rid of the bad press. All it takes is a few choices. The choice to have a movie and open it up for people to come and bring their children. We had a lot of guests on the property last night, I'm told, who were just here to have a good time. You set a tone for who you are as a church by the things you do. You set a tone for your church and your church family by how you behave at work. Not when you're at your best, but when you're at your worst. That's what they remember. When things go against you, how do you respond? When someone treats you you wrong, how do you respond? When someone has done something really wrong, how do you respond toward that person? Are you the one to go and comfort them? Are you the one to go and offer forgiveness to them? Are you the one to go and pray for them? Are you the one to tell them that you still love them, even if you're the one they offended? I would like to say that the record for Christians is almost perfect in that area. Well, I would like to say that. But I'd be afraid to do the research, wouldn't you? Look at that person sitting three seats away from you. I I know you're not going to look at your spouse, but look at the past, your family. Think how many bad things they've done to you. (laughs) You know? And if they have made wrongs you, you still remember it, don't you? Remember what they did back 10 years ago? Sometimes I hear stories. Such and such happened. And I listen to the story. I listen to the details because I'm trying to be helpful. And then they'll say, you know, that's affected me since that day. But when did it happen? Oh, it was 12 years ago. Six months and three days. <laughs> wow. Wow. You've really hung on to that, haven't you? You like being mad. You know, Brian Rose has been to, I'm going to pick on him since he wasn't here last week. We were turning the pledge cards. He knows I was going to. Or if he didn't, he should by now. He's been the treasurer of this church for over 20 years, the chairman of the finance committee. I'm surprised anybody likes him in this congregation. (laughs) You know, being a head of the finance committee in a church is tough, but I digress. Let me go back to choices make good ones, (coughs) fulfill your calling. Get off the bench if you 're a bench warmer, just remember this: in my mind, everybody gets to play in the game in my mind, there are no bench warmers. everybody gets to go in just like a little league sport you know in the beginning where everybody plays it used to kill me to have to substitute some child when I was coaching some little league sports and then Yeah, didn't turn out so well when you took your players off the court. But, you know, in church, it stops at that. It doesn't work well when your players aren't on the court. I can't fill out your form, and I can guarantee a lot of you are not going to turn it back in because you don't know that there's any place where you can serve the Lord. But if you will turn it back in, we will surprise you with an opportunity that's similar to what you turned in to the best of our ability. We will. But if you choose to sit, that will be your choice. Bad choices have consequences. Did I mention that the choices you made last week were good? We had 63 persons who pledged last year that were not here or didn't remember to turn in their card last week. 63 pledges. If those pledges all come back in, as today or the next few days as we're on the phone winding up the budget, at the same they were last year, then this church will have met with basically the same kind of attendance, an increase of 290,000 dollars to this year's budget. When we put those numbers down on paper, I was pretty flabbergasted, quite frankly. Now Brian will remind me, "Yeah, but we didn't meet this year's budget yet. I know, Brian, I know but it'll be all right. Money will come. it's coming in. It's, the train's coming, I hear the whistle. I was so thankful to God that we could do that. I was amazed that we could do that, quite frankly. But we only did it by, for one reason. You made choices. I've heard from people who said all they had to do is just increase it some, something every year, and their giving would be better and better. They'd heard me say that last year during the finance campaign. That's scary. Somebody remembers something I said last year. But, you know, that's what God does is he blesses choices when they're made for him and for his will. I want to thank you for that. Your choice, the bishop's choice, makes my life so much better. To be in your midst for a church that is on the move. Oh, I know we got things to fix. We will. We have situations to address. We will. Because God is moving in this congregation because of the choices that you are making to be available. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for choices. That you treat us as children made in your image. Straight out of the dust of the ground. Breathing into us a breath of life. And giving us a will to exercise where we can make choices that change the face of the earth. Change the direction of people's lives as you work through us when we become your children. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who, who really doesn't know you as a Savior, we would like to be a, your part of your plans to pull them into yourself so they might become a part of your family. And if there's anybody here, Lord, who is a part of your family, but they're just wandering around trying to do this on their own, let them know that here in this place there's a family that's willing to embrace them, include them, and to use them for service and worship here to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let anyone who needs to respond today, Lord, come forward as we sing this song of praise in memory of our Savior, the Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.